This is episode 106 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm talking with Valerie Power. Valerie is a lifelong horse lover and a California native. She has had a varied career that includes photographing pro farms in Asia and running an underground performance art circus. She now lives with her husband at their off-grid homestead in the high desert of San Diego County. Valerie's Equestrian Suspense series takes readers to Fairy Glen, a horsewoman's paradise. Despite the rumors of the ghosts, witches, and spectral animals that haunt the woods in Fairy Glen, her female characters are more concerned with solving crimes and saving the day. Saddle up for a conversation about horses, mystery, thrills, and a touch of the supernatural. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with author Valerie Power. Welcome to the show, Valerie. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. We're going to talk about the best things on earth horses and writing books about them. And as people who listen to the show or anybody that's a newcomer, how I always like to start the conversation off is talking to the authors about how their relationship uh, with horses began or how horses have inspired their life. So Valerie, can you share a little bit about the horses in your life with us? One of my first memories of really being inspired by horses is when my mom took me to see the Black Stallion in the theater. And I think I was about seven years old when that came out. And I just remember the imagery of the little black horse statue being uncovered by the sand. And then, of course, the time on the island with Alec and the, and the black stallion and just that, you know, wanting to be him so badly. And I've always read about horses. I read all the black stallion books and any other horse books. I got a photography book of horses when I was little for one of my birthdays, I think. And that really inspired me. I learned all the different breeds. I read everything I possibly could, probably like everybody else that's listening right now. (laughs) And, you know, everything from like trying to turn a chair in my room into a horse with like a bridle made out of belts and things like that. So, but I lived in the suburbs, so I had to have imaginary horses for a while until I could, I actually found a riding stable uh, through my best friend's older brother's girlfriend, who was quite an accomplished writer, and she was really cool. And she took us to see where she rode and her trainer. And so Jennifer and I got uh, writing lessons finally when I was about 10 years old. My writing instructor was just the absolute best, taught us everything from trail riding to riding without stirrups and reins in the arena, jumping, dressage, barrel racing just for fun. We did showing. I think horses really spoke to me because of their power and the freedom that they give you. Just being on top of a horse, there's nothing like like that in the world. Melt my heart 
on all those touch points, you know, the black stallion, I know that childhood feeling of like, just, wow, I want that experience with a horse. In fact, I still have my black stallion movie picture book on my shelf from when I was a kid. You've had a very interesting career path. When I was galloping around your website, I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. So she's done a lot of interesting things. You've uh, photographed pearl farms in Asia uh, and you've run an underground performance art circus. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about how your career path prepared you for the next step, which was becoming an author. <laughs> yeah. So I think I mentioned photography in there. So I studied art in college. I, I then kind of majored in photography. Um, I fell in love with photography. The first class I took doing the dark room and all that stuff. And I, I always drew horses as a kid. So I was always an artist. I got a real job as a photographer when I moved to Southern California and worked for the Gemological Institute of America, which is a, a nonprofit um, educational institute for people that want to study gemstones. Now, I'm not that into gemstones, but my photography um, interest was what got me there. And I became a photographer. So I worked in the publishing department that produced all the, their coursework. Mm. And I, so I, I did photography at gem shows and in the studio, taking pictures of diamonds and gemstones and all these interesting mineral specimens. But I also got to take a few trips for when we were revising the course on pearls. And pearls are one of the few gemstones that I'm really, really into. And they're also my birthstone. So that oh, cool. was just amazing to me. And one of the things... Uh, when I was a kid and just imagining, you know, crazy careers, I was like, I could be a pearl farmer. <laughs> so, and then I, so I thought it was so uh, just perfect that I got to go and photograph these pearl farms in Japan was one trip that I took where we went to Japan, which is where they developed the cultured pearl and then Australia. And then a second trip was to China. So that was really amazing. It's, it's almost like a different planet to be in China, actual China itself. I think what helped me from that experience was more working in the publishing department, seeing um, you know, I was a photographer, but I was part of this big machine where there's uh, the writers, mm -hmm. the subject matter experts, the editors, the graphic designers, all of that. And it all came together to produce this book and this educational information for people. And so I, I, I guess I realized that there's always, you know, there's always going to be revisions. There's always like, you know, you can have a 10 sets of eyes, look at something and you're always <laughs> going to find a mistake. You just make a note of it for the next time you do the print run, you know, in the, the circus thing, <laughs> that's a whole other offshoot. So in 2004, I had just I'd just been divorced and I, I ended up going to Burning Man in the desert outside of Reno. And that kind of changed my life too. So I got involved in the Burning Man community locally. I met my future husband who was uh, running this circus in his backyard in downtown San Diego. And I was like, yeah, I just, I, I like unusual things. So I, I became a big fan and eventually we ended up dating and getting together. And I had never been into drama or anything in high school I was way too shy mm. 
And I, I was like, I'm not a performer. I'm, I'm an artist, but I'm not a performer. It, it's kind of like a variety, uh, vaudeville variety type show. And he had this one act he did that was a shadow puppet story. And I, I told him one time, I said, that's my favorite of your acts. And he said, well, why don't you do one? And so I ended up kind of getting sucked into the performing side of it through shadow puppetry, which kind of gave me the opportunity to entertain people without being in the spotlight because I was mm. behind the screen. So with shadow puppetry, the way I did it, you cut out these outlines of out of like black paper or whatever, and you project light from behind. And then I would write a story and pre-record it narrate it and then perform it with the little puppets and the first time that I heard the audience laugh at a joke that that I made I was hooked and I realized that I don't know there's just this energy and connection you get with the audience when you're performing that I, I was like that's the best thing in the world and so I think through that I well I I gained a lot of maybe confidence or just realization that you can put yourself out there and people will like what you're doing so just getting back into writing stories I mean they were short little stories it was like seven or ten minutes or something but I had always written stories but um I was like oh okay I can write I can write stories. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so that kind of led into a, kind of a synergistically also through my horseback riding, where I was inspired for an idea for a novel. You just do it yourself and you put it out there. So I think that led into the, more of the self-publishing thing. Oh, that's perfect. And that is a great segue to get into talking about your books. But, but first, thank you for sharing the story of those very <laughs> unique careers, because I mean, there are so many things in the world that we can do that exist that we don't even know that can feed our creativity and prepare us for, you know, whatever's next in our life in this journey, like photographing pearls, like who would have thought that is so neat and be able to travel to Asia and Australia and then puppetry in a backyard circus, shadow puppetry and, and telling stories. I mean, you had a live audience that you could test your writing on and your storytelling on and you got that, that feedback and that reaction live, which is mm-hmm. so, so exciting. So talk to us about your horse books, the Fairy Glen Suspense series. Tell us a little bit about the inspiration for these books and and what led you to writing them. Okay. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different inspirations. The the last place that I boarded my horse, I I fictionalized that and turned that into Fairy Glen. Mm -hmm. So it's this place, it's in San Diego County. It's kind of surrounded by the overdevelopment of uh, subdivisions and things like that, but it has somehow maintained this little pocket of nature and Mm. it's got tons of trails and I just loved having them there. That place also has lots of uh, legends of hauntings and things like that (laughs) associated with it. Wow. So I kind of just ripped that off basically and uh, (laughs) that's the setting, but I wanted to change the name for some reason, I feel very protective about it, but I wanted to change the name a little bit and also just to give myself artistic license to make it whatever I wanted it to be. I, I think as a Western horse person or especially a California horse, horse person, you're always searching for room to ride. Mm-hmm. And you're there's that, I, I guess, conflict between development and leaving 
enough wild space that we can keep writing. Yeah, so there were all these different just inspirations. And then, like I said, the the actual rumors of Supernatural that are in that little valley. Now, that's and, fascinating. Like, yes. I mean, you what? I, and this is what good fiction is, right? Where does an author write from? They write from experiences they've had in their own lives. Otherwise, what what is there? You know, and then mm-hmm. we fictionalize yeah. it and make it tell it as a story, right? It's all these little pieces Mm -hmm. of the moments we've lived in our lives, whether, you know, with our horses or with experiences with other people. And then we bring it in and fictionalize it and turn it into a story. And what, what would you say would be the ideal reader for your book? And, and where would you put this on the spectrum of genre? Because it sounds like it's got a lot of different elements in it going on. It's, I, I would call it more suspense. I don't think you have to be a horse person to like mm-hmm. this book. I think it really does speak to horse people, but there's so many people that loved horses as a kid that, mm-hmm. or may just want to vicariously live out, you know, being able to just jump on your horse and ride through the trails. And, and then that kind of thrill of discovering a crime or being chased by a bad guy stuff like that I also have um, kind of a mother-daughter relationship in there that's the two main characters are a mother and a daughter and the daughter is a teenage girl that rides her BMX bike all over the place (laughs) and she kind of gets involved with the criminals in a way and so I think it it also kind of appeals to people who maybe like shows like I don't know like my some of my critique group partners compared it to Twin Peaks okay or like Riverdale maybe where there's like adults but there's also teenagers and there's like intrigue and suspense and crime and paranormal (laughs) and paranormal I love together (laughs) this sounds fascinating from the beginning I had kind of thought of it more as an ensemble cast Mm. of characters because it kind of shares a little bit of traits with the cozy mystery except it's a little darker Mm -hmm. and I do have swear words in my book and stuff (laughs) and so and that's a no-no for cozy so I can't really call it a cozy but the one of the things with cozies is you have a small town and you've got these quirky characters that you keep coming back to and so what I'm going to do is each book will kind of focus on a different couple of characters because nobody can have all that drama month after month (laughs) you know so the the main character in the first book uh, Deirdre Boyd she is kind of going to be like the the hub of the wheel, I think, of the community, the heart of the community. Mm-hmm. So she'll probably be in every book, but it, you know, subsequent books will highlight different characters and kind of their development um, as characters. That's so, so smart. I, I love this. And, and it just, it, I totally hear in your talking that you are inspired around this and that the, the, the characters and the stories aren't finished with you yet. That's usually how series happens. Like you, <laughs> You'll write a book, yes. you intend it to be a standalone, and then all of a sudden the characters are like, ah, 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 the muse is like, no way, you're not done yet, we're going to keep going. So and that's great. I mean, that's a great strategy yeah. uh, as an author, because series, people love that. I mean, we are in a binge society, a binge culture. People want to blow through things and read them, and the more books you right. have, and the more people like your stories and your characters, the longer people stick with you. So right. that's a really great, great strategy coming out of the gate. And I just wish I could write fast. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. That is the one thing. Uh, you know what, though? I, I think over the course of a body of a work, of work, as long as you're telling a good story, 
people will stick with you. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'm with you. Yeah. Speaking to that, how long how long does it usually take you to to write, uh, say, a first draft? And the first one took forever because I mm. went. <laughs> it was like teaching me to write a novel, and I went to courses. I learned online. I found a writing group. So I would say that took me five years from when I really started working on it to when it was finished. That's when, super normal. I will say as, as you yeah, write first more, book. the faster it goes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, right. The second one, I wrote the first draft of it, or most of the first draft during NaNoWriMo. I finished it and revised it and edited it all within, I'd say, six months. I gave myself a deadline. I, I'm the type of person that without a deadline, I could just keep tinkering with something forever. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, though. But I would say six months is not bad. And, you know, I think it's always getting over the hurdle of the first and, and realizing, oh, hey, I can write a book that people do enjoy. Then it kind of takes away a little bit of that stress like what am I doing I don't know what I'm doing once you've done something you know you can do it and I don't think it gets faster it gets a little easier it never is a hundred percent easy but having known that you've done it yeah helps you get there a little bit quicker I think as you go on in your career now you mentioned a couple times that you chose to go the independent publishing route self self self-publishing route and I heard in the heard in your conversation that you educated yourself which I think is so so important when you're getting out of the gate as a new author to make sure you do your work and educate yourself on the process. Why did you choose to go that route? Well, I I actually, over the, the years that I was learning about the craft of writing, I also started listening to podcasts. And I would say, like, uh, Joanna Penn's podcast was She's really in, informational mm-hmm. and inspiring. And I, you know, and attitudes have changed towards independent publishing it, it naturally appealed to me because I have kind of a jack of all trades. Like I have a little bit of skills and all these different things. So I knew the technical aspect I knew that I could do and just having the control over it. I, I actually did, I queried a few agents. I probably queried about maybe 10 or 12 agents. And as I was doing it, you know, I had learned so much over the years uh, about independent publishing that as I was doing it, I was like, I feel like I'm just doing this to jump through the hoops, to check off the box, to say that I tried. Not to say that I wouldn't love to be traditionally published, I think, but I... I I think I'm more suited to doing it myself, doing the independent route. I didn't want to wait for my book to come out. I was I was ready at that point because I'd spent so much time and mm-hmm. been telling people for years and years <laughs> I'm writing a book and they're like, "Well, where is it?" <laughs> no. No, people were super supportive, but you know, after a while when you say you're doing something, you're like, "Okay, I got to like produce the goods here." Yeah, but so, good on you. You did it. Do you know how many people say that they're going to do something and they don't actually do it? There's like some crazy statistic yeah. out there that says like, I don't know, 80% of the population says they want to write a book, but only like 3% of people ever actually do, which is you're one of that yeah. you're one of that 3%, so you should be very proud of yourself. But Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're right. You are able to go faster when you take control yourself. I mean, not only do you own your intellectual mm-hmm. property, we make a little bit more in royalties. Yes. We have a say over how our book looks and who, who we're reaching with it. But then yeah. there's that element of we can get books out faster because it, tr- mm-hmm. the traditional public publishing process is 
long. I just had uh, Carly Heath on the show. And mm-hmm. I think she had been working on her book since like 2014. And it had just come out, but she went the traditional mm-hmm. route. It's a very informative interview. So, so you educated yourself and you made the definitive decision. I think independent publishing is for me and you went that route. How did you celebrate how do you how do you celebrate your successes uh, in milestones as a writer? Do you you know do anything special when you get to that space when you've gotten a book completed? Because it sounds like you've been a creative your whole life. So how do you how do you celebrate your creativity? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. It's a strange feeling to finish a book because you've been working on something for so long and you're it's like you're pushing so hard against this wall and then all of a sudden the wall is gone and you're like, what do <laughs> <laughs> what do I work on? What do I do? So I think I would say, you know, I probably have a, a margarita and <laughs> nice, nice. And just relax and give myself permission to not work on writing for a little while, just to kind of refill the creative well. Read, I, I you know, read some books, get some more input, mm-hmm. uh, watch movies, go on trip. I think that's how I kind of celebrated just by giving giving myself a little break mentally giving myself a little break yeah that is great advice and absolutely you earned that you know you worked very hard it's like sometimes we're like we push so hard so hard so hard that we forget to give ourselves permission to rest and celebrate such a big accomplishment so good on you mm-hmm. I, I, will, I would buy you that margarita for sure <laughs> now you have mentioned that you know, this is a new series. How have you been marketing this book? How are you reaching your readers and getting the word, the word out? Well, I'd have to say, right. First off, I feel like I'm kind of in this for the long game. So I feel like my readership will build up as I get more and more books and people kind of spread the word through word of mouth. Mm -hmm. But I do have a Facebook presence. I just recently did a tutorial online about how to set up Facebook ads. And those are working kind of well so far. Great. And I feel like because with Facebook ads, you can target people with certain interests. Mm-hmm. And there, there's one ad, and, and you can also uh, be more creative with the imagery. You can kind of create your own imagery. It's not just the cover of the book. Yeah, there's, I, I've been really kind of heartened by that because there's people that will comment, they'll comment on your ad, because it's like a regular Facebook post, and they'll tag their friends, like, or and then come back and say, I just read this, it's really good. And then they'll tag a friend, hey, you know, Carla, try this or whatever. And so that's been really cool. And I, I realized that like, marketing, it's definitely a different hat to put on a different mindset. But it still uses all those creative skills that you have or those creative juices that you have in your brain of like, okay, what kind of people, who's my ideal reader and what are they interested in? So of course, people horseback riding, right? Mm -hmm. But then also people who like mysteries and then, you know, just finding, just finding different interests to target. You know, I'm kind of like slowly, I feel like I'm slowly building up this ball that's going to roll downhill and keep rolling (laughs) faster and faster. Yeah. (laughs) And that's a great way to look at it. And, you know, saying that it's a long game is, it is right. The bigger your backlist, the better the sales come and the more people you reach, but in also having a series, that's a great way. Word of mouth, keep building people, people recommending books. I find that 
word of mouth is still the strongest mover of books, I think, these uh-huh. days. And I, and I love your approach to marketing. It play, right? Let, mm-hmm. Like, look at marketing as another creative endeavor and just kind of play in it because a lot of authors say marketing is the most difficult part for them. And there is, there's a lot of different mm-hmm. avenues you can try. So just what you're doing, you're like choosing something. Let me try that. Oh, that mm-hmm. didn't work so well. I'm going to try this. I'm going to take a course, educate myself, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to mm-hmm. try this. And oh, oh, that works, you know, and it's, it's really just a, it's a game of trying things and discarding what doesn't work and what doesn't make you happy and then finding the things that do click. So it sounds like you are on the right path. Uh, well, right. I'd love to see where you are after 12 books. We'll have to revisit the conversation, right. <laughs> look at the growth because that's the yeah. long game. Now for you, right. what has been the hardest part about being an author? But then on the flip side, what's been you know the very best part of your author journey so far? Yeah, okay. So I would say the hardest part is uh, there's nothing like the terrifying feeling of hitting that publish button. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> So it, it's it was this combination of being terrified. It's like you're jumping off a cliff, but yet maybe jumping off a cliff naked because you feel so vulnerable. You're putting this thing that you created in your head out into the world for people to look at and say, hmm, you know, oh, yes. <laughs> or, or get really into it. Like, you know, so I'd say the vulnerability, there's a, a lot of like emotional ups and downs, mm-hmm. especially if, if you're kind of paying too much attention to your, you know, constantly checking your sales numbers and you're like feeling up when they're up and down when they're down. <laughs> but I, I got over it. You know, I kind of got over that pretty quickly. And I think the performing aspect helped. Because I, you know, in the circus, I didn't just do the shadow puppets. I did some other skits and stuff. I'm not that great at being on stage, but I, I got over my fear of it. Because I'm like, nobody really cares. Who cares? Yeah. You know, and then I'd say the best part is knowing that people are reading my books and enjoying them and that they're giving them a little bit of escapism, a little fun, a little thrills. Yeah, that that's the best part. And once again, connecting with people through that, either fellow writers or readers or people in the horse world. I love, I love that you said that, because, that you're getting great feedback and people are enjoying your books and finding that escape because I hear through this interview, you're, you're an avid reader and so am I. And you know, there's those moments where, where I shut books or almost every time I read a book, I shut it and I'm like, wow, I'm so glad somebody wrote that so I could enjoy it or learn from it or, or have this experience that I had. And us as authors, our books are doing that for other people. And, mm-hmm. you know, isn't that great? Like, you know, that feeling and, and now you're yeah. giving it to other people. I think that is like, really so beautiful. Like, if you think of it in those terms. Uh, yeah, like that somebody spent hours, however many hours it takes to read your book in your world that you created from yeah. your imagination. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's it's, nothing like that. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> so thank you for being a creative contribution to people's joy of reading. Now, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back before you published your first book? Like, what would you say to yourself? It's funny because I'm not the kind of person that regrets the way things went. So I, I had to think about that. I, can you can you send a little jar of that over here? I, I, <laughs> I'd like to have a little bit of that medicine. <laughs> I always think, you know, p- things happened the way they did and we wouldn't be where we are today if it happened differently. But maybe d- done it sooner and done mm-hmm. it faster. But also I I was learning. So I was going through that cycle of, 
reading a little bit, trying a little bit, mm-hmm. going back and researching a little bit. So I was teaching myself all along the way. So I'm not sure if I could have done it faster, but if I could have done it sooner, that would be my advice. But also, you know, you don't want to put something out that's not not quite ready. So trying to study the craft of writing and getting feedback from other people was Mm -hmm. very important. So no regrets, but I think the reason (laughs) why you can say you have no regrets is because you really did the work. You educated yourself along the way. You wanted to do this right. You, and yes, Mm -hmm. we say we want to go faster, but you didn't rush. So you made Mm -hmm. sure you had a good product product upon release. So Mm -hmm. I think that's great. So basically your advice to other authors would be to make sure you understand what you're getting into and do the work to make sure you're doing it right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, and usually in these interviews, I ask, you know, people, is there anything surprising that a reader of yours would be interested to learn? But I found something surprising on your website that I wanted to ask you about. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you and you and your husband live off the grid on a homestead yes. in the high desert of San Diego, County. Now, yes, that is really neat. Like, what's that like? And why did you make the choice to live off the grid? <laughs> yeah, so it kind of goes back to the circus, the kind of the timeline there. Uh, we ran a theater after the backyard, we kind of went to this bigger theater and we ran this live theater for three years as a business. And we had not just our shows, but other people's shows, all kinds of shows, music shows. We even had a cat circus that came and performed there. (laughs) Um, There's there's a book idea. (laughs) I know everybody's always like, why don't you write about the circus? I'm like, yeah, there's a lot there. (laughs) So anyway, after about three years, there was just a lot of, uh, it was like an uphill battle. It was this 100 year old theater building, but it was just constantly falling apart. We were doing so much maintenance to it. We were, we had, and I had created like a coffee cart, like an espresso thing. I was going to start a little coffee garden out in the side yard. And I'd gone through all the things and got the A from the county health board and everything. And then our landlord said, no, you can't have a coffee cart here. And it was so strange because I'm like, do you know what we're doing inside there? There's like acrobats hanging from the ceiling inside the theater, you know, and I can't have a, you know, a coffee cart. And also what had happened is uh, my horse had died that, that year, just like a month before that. And I kind of didn't have the oomph to just keep fighting something. And we were kind of like, well, we did it. Let's close down the business and go on the road. We took this giant road trip and came back and we kind of started living like nomads. So we we lived a couple different places. We lived as caretakers at, at one place. And then we were camp hosts in the mountains at a private campground. And at the same time, I saw this piece of property for sale. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can afford that. We can have a permanent place that even if we keep traveling like nomads, we'll have a place that we can always come back to. And it was just five acres of raw land, no utilities. Um, there are power lines nearby, but no, no well, nothing, just five acres at the base of Granite Mountain. And it was just the most beautiful place in the, in not 
I, I don't know, the most beautiful place in the world, but it was a place I'd always been drawn to in my travels around San Diego County. Um, there's something about the desert that is so open and, and kind of inspires you to feel like anything is possible. Mm. And yet this was kind of like still in the foothills, a high desert. So it's not quite as hot as, as the desert. And I knew my husband could do anything. Um, <laughs> he, I knew he could make it work. So well, if he had an out, outdoor circuit or a backyard circus, yeah, when you backyard sure circus. You, you could do anything. Absolutely. You can do just about <laughs> anything. And so together we, you know, we got a couple little trailers there. He, he built a deck, he built a roof over the, the trailer for shade. He set up solar mm -hmm. so we're completely off grid like I said we don't have electricity it's we have to be very uh I mean we do have electricity it's solar you know through just through our own solar system mm -hmm. with uh solar panels about eight of those like car batteries basically to store to store the energy for nighttime and we have wa wa a big water tank we have water trucked in water delivered a lot of people do that in the mm -hmm. west if they don't have wells on their property so living, living with less it, to trade for freedom I think is we both love freedom and it was like wow you know I pay for this I have no rent mm. uh, no utilities of course we still pay for propane water you know we still have bills uh, it kind of provides that freedom of we can come and go as we please and you know we we may not be able to run a coffee maker or a microwave without turning on the generator first <laughs> but you don't really need all that stuff it's like yeah. you can make coffee in a french press or a mm -hmm. percolator or whatever as long as you have a flame on a stove you can make your coffee <laughs> and yeah so it's it's been quite a, a journey and kind of I don't know it's it's uh, something that's fulfilled a desire for me to have some a place that I can call my own. Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, you what an adventurous life. I, I love the idea of like traveling around, but having this piece of land that you can come back to and then have that freedom. I, I think that's so yes. special. I think that's got to be really healthy for your creativity too, I imagine. What's next? I mean, obviously you just mentioned that you're writing a 12 book series. So that's, that's going to take a minute, but like, mm -hmm. what are you curious about? What are you thinking about? Where do you, where do you, where do you think you're going to be heading in the next, in the next little while? Oh, you know, there's a lot of things. Uh, book wise, I'm, I'm curious about uh, eventually going uh, wide with my books. Mm -hmm. Right now I'm only on Amazon. And I'm in Kindle Unlimited, but I would like to eventually, I'm not sure what at what point, maybe when the third book is out, or maybe after that, put my books on other retailers. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to do that at first because I was like, I've got enough like octopus <laughs> arms to think about with, with independent publishing. I'd just mm -hmm. limit myself to one retailer, but I'd like to do that eventually. I'd also love to explore getting audio books of my books mm -hmm. uh, done at some point because I'm a huge fan of audio I, I get my eyes get tired too much screen time that kind of thing so um, I love listening to audiobooks and I would love to have my books in audio I, I don't think I would want to do the, that myself <laughs> because I've I've looked at you know just like on one page I'm like oh there's like five different voices and different accents and oh my gosh you know it's like the 
they're real pros, the people that do those audiobooks. Even if they don't seem like they're doing a voice, it's like they subtly change their voice to to read the dialogue of one character mm -hmm. or another or whatever, and they're just so good. So yeah, book-wise, I think that's what I'm curious about. I also, just in life, I the Pacific Crest Trail runs on the mountain right behind our place. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to hike a section of that, a 10, like a 10 mile section, which is like, sounds like super easy, probably for some good hikers, but I'd like to do that. My husband and I ride uh, motorcycles kind of off road on some of the trails and things around here, since I don't have a horse anymore. That kind of gives me that it's not the same, but it's, it kind of gives you that feeling of getting out in nature and just kind of exploring mm -hmm. or not like tearing up the sand or anything, <laughs> you, you know, we're just kind of put putting along the trails and you see, you see things that you wouldn't be able to see um, otherwise. Other than that, also, we're, we're kind of talking about uh, maybe moving back part-time to, to the city just because we miss our friends it's about an hour and a half drive to get back to San Diego from where we are mm -hmm. and it doesn't sound like much but when you do it on a you know long-term basis it's kind of like it's kind of a drag so we'd love to kind of just have a part-time place in the city but, uh, you know maybe start doing circus shows again <laughs> oh fun I mean what yeah. I'm hearing is you're just full-on ready to embrace life and and let it yeah. rock and roll and and just seeing what the possibilities are for having a very full life I love that I mean yes. you, you it, that's really wonderful I have yeah. really really enjoyed talking with you today Valerie I you know oh, thank thanks. you for the gift of your time and sharing all this great stuff with us and I'm so excited about your 12 book series and I can't wait to keep in touch with you to hear how that's going. But in the meantime, would you let listeners know where they can find more information about you and your books? Yeah. Uh, well, I have a website. It's really easy to remember. It's ValeriePower.com. If you want to read a little more behind the scenes stuff about the books or me, um, you can sign up for my mailing list there. And I also have a Facebook page, Valerie Power Author. And or you can email me directly at Valerie at ValeriePower.com. <laughs> nice. And people can get a copy of your your book autographed, I'm sure, or signed by you if they'd yeah. like. Yeah. 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 That's wonderful. And I will make sure to link to all those places in the show notes so you can get directly to Valerie and her books. And Valerie, thank you so much for the gift of your time. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, thank you, Carly. It's been really nice talking to you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and riding, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade 
creative writing makes my spurs jingle. <laughs>